Oh, well, welcome again. So blessed to see all of you. If I uh, see you on your phones today while I'm preaching, I will not be offended. I will assume that you're giving $5 to the nest. So feel free to do that uh, during the sermon. Again, my name is Matt Party, one of the pastors here. So thankful to be with you today to continue our series out of Psalms. We're in Psalm 139 today, uh, a real favorite for many people in the Psalms. Uh, and I'm excited about sharing uh, some uh, things from uh, my own life and our own story and uh, also to kind of work into uh, uh, what Tiffany is doing, and so very excited about that. You know, um, for many of you that uh, know us over the years, you know that my wife likes to fix up homes and make them beautiful. That's kind of a little side gig that she's had. We've had four different houses that we've had that I was very hesitant to buy, but my wife has this amazing eye that she can look at something dilapidated, look at something beat up, look at something that smells and I don't want to live in, and she says, I can make this beautiful. And we'll move in, and she'll fix it up, and then we'll, we'll sell it, and we'll move to the next thing. And I've always appreciated that my wife can see beauty where I don't see beauty. I love that she has this eye that she can see value in something that I'm not so sure about. And she's just been really wonderful at this, of, of seeing the value when maybe we're going to miss it. You know how we can be? You know, something breaks or something's uncomfortable or something that we don't like, and we're ready to just get rid of it. And we don't necessarily see the value of things We're like, well, I just want to get a different thing. I want to buy a new thing. And this psalm is kind of like that, but it's on such a bigger, uh, a, a bigger picture of things, not about houses or lawnmowers or animals or uh, just things that we might own. This is seeing the beauty in us. Seeing the value that God has put inside every single one of us. When we don't see the value in ourselves, when we don't see the beauty in ourselves, and we're kind of racked with those insecurities or, or we're racked with the negative thoughts that we could tear ourselves down with, or we see others and we're struggling to have value in them or to see the beauty that God has put in them, God sees it, and he wants to show it to us. And that is what Psalm 139 is, is really about. The big idea that we want you to take away from today is that you bear the image of God and are therefore a treasure beyond measure. You bear the image of God. That's something that Christians call the Imago Dei, the image of God stamped inside every one of us, inside all of us, and because of that we have the image of God and we're above all creation of everything that he ever created, you are the most beautiful workmanship that he's ever created. It says you're a treasure. You're a treasure beyond anything that you can ever imagine. And this is such an important message for me. It's an important message for all of us as we go through hard times and we go through the roller coaster of life and we can have these thoughts about myself or about ourselves. Am I enough? Am I okay? What do people think of me? What does God think of me? And we could have those negative thoughts going about our personality, our bodies, all different kinds of things about what we value or our performance. And we think, man, do I measure up? And God says, you are a treasure. 
You know, I've shared this, and I'll probably share it till you're sick of me sharing it. But as many of you know, I was in the hospital for three months. I was really sick. I almost died. Thank you so much for praying for me, and I'm so thankful to be back and to be um, just doing well physically and emotionally again. And, uh, you know, when you lay in a hospital bed for months and you are of no performing value whatsoever, you really question, like, man, what value do I have? I'm doing nothing. I'm doing nothing for my wife. I'm doing nothing for my kids. I'm doing nothing for my church. There's no performance coming out of me. I'm just laying here being taken care of. And you can really struggle with the thoughts of performance and what God and others think of you. And Psalm 139 speaks beautifully to that. Let's pray and ask God to speak to us through His Word today. Lord, we are here because of You. Lord, we came to this building, we came to this place because we want to read Your words and what You say about us. And Lord, I don't even mean we're just here in this place, but Lord, our very existence is because of You. And we say thank You for that. Thank You for designing us. Thank You for making us. Thank You for treasuring us. Lord, would You speak to our hearts today, Lord, as we dive into Your Word, Lord, would You make these verses come alive in us, in our minds, in our hearts, through Your Spirit, Speak to us, Lord, in a way that only you can, Lord, through those whispers of your Holy Spirit. A verse, a word, something from you, Lord, that speaks individually to each of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Psalm 139, starting in verse 1 through 6, I'll break this into several parts, starts off with this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain." This psalm is reminding us that God is always with us. He knows everything about us, and He's constantly with us, loving us, helping us, and is present with us at all times. Whether we're sitting, whether we're standing, we're going, no matter what's happening, all the goings out, all the night, the day, everything, He knows completely our thoughts, and He's a, a God that's close by to all of us. For someone that grew up thinking that God was a million miles away and wasn't sure how close he wanted to be to me, this psalm reminds me that he's close. He's hemming us in, and he's wanting to be with us at all times. We have these words in, the, uh, in Christendom called omniscience and omnipresence. And this omniscience is really speaking to what this Psalm 139 is saying, is that God knows all things. That's the omniscience part. We can talk to Him, we can share anything with Him, big or small in our life, because He already knows everything. There's no reason to hide anything from God, to not talk to God about everything, because He already knows everything. He's omniscient. If we're worried that, 
you know, in this circumstance that we're in, is God really here? Is he going to help me? That's the omnipresent part of God. When I'm alone at home, when I'm at school, when I'm in a fearful place, when I'm on the, the mountaintop and everything is great in life, or I'm in the hospital bed, in the greatest trial, no matter what is going on, he's omnipresent. He's there with us. Even when we want to run from him because of our sin, and we want to hide from him, it's silly. It's silly to try to run from God because no matter where we go, he's still there loving us, whispering to us the truth. This omnipresent goes on here in verses 7 through 10 in the psalm. As we continue on, it says this, starting in verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, it says in Sheol in another translation, down in the depths of the earth, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. The psalmist is really painting this picture for us to remind us that he's always with us. And we can draw comfort from that. We can draw comfort knowing because God values us, we are guided and protected by him at all times. Isn't it an amazing, wonderful truth to know that no matter what's going on in your life today, this week, for the decades to come, if you live to be 95 years old, there's nothing that you're going to be going through where God isn't there valuing you, loving you, wanting to guide you and protect you through every circumstance. That gives me incredible comfort. It gives us incredible security. There's another place that God is not absent, and the next verse talks about that, and it's in the mother's womb. As we read on to verse 13, it says this, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Isn't that an amazing thought? Again, there's a lot of times where we're talking to young people these days, and, and any age could struggle with this, where we just wonder about why we're made the way we are. God, why do I feel the way I feel? Why do I think the way I think? I don't like my body. I don't like this about me. And we just start getting really into this spiral where we're tearing ourselves down about something about us. And this passage gives us great comfort. It says, you know, God says, I knew what I was doing even when I was knitting you together in your mother's womb. He knew exactly what he was doing. He loves you and he loves the way that he made you. This sanctity of life that we talk about, this Imago Dei, this treasure that we are is something that we're very passionate about at H2O, the sanctity of all life. Not just the unborn, but, but every other circumstance of life that you could think of, young or old or any disability or any race or anything that ever happens uh, to us physically, no matter where our geography is, there's something so special about humanity. And that's why we talk about the sanctity of all life, the, the born and the unborn. 
You know, there's this war on the sanctity of human life. And I was, I was reading this quote recently from this atheist who, who he has now passed away about a decade ago, a pretty famous atheist. And, and later in life, he declared himself not even an atheist, but an anti-theist, where he believed that, that spirituality was so wrong, it should be opposed his name's Christopher Hitchens. He's a pretty famous atheist, very prolific author, and always just attacking spirituality, attacking religion, thinking that the sanctity of life, that we're any different from the animals, or that we're any different from anything else in this creation, is ridiculous to him. And these ideas that he would write about, these ideas that he would talk about, and the way that he would come after spirituality, these are the ideas that we're coming against, that we try to fight against, because these are ideas that should be opposed. They're ideas that should be opposed with love and care. But here's a quote from him, Christopher Hitchens. <clears throat> he says, Anyone whose major concern is the sanctity of human life is in effect by leaving population growth unchecked, ensuring death by famine. Nature is pitiless, is what he says. And if humans will not themselves limit population, then they will have it done for them. It's a terrible quote talking about how we should be limiting population. How nature is pitiless and that nature is going to bring about this famine because we have too many people and that the sanctity of life is ridiculous. The sanctity of human life is something to be scoffed at. This is a man that believed <clears throat> that we are not anything special made by God or above our creation. And one of the reasons, there's so many reasons that I'd like to share about, but just a few that come to mind is thinking about the, the overpopulation is not the problem that creates famine. The reason of famine in this world is because of human greed. There are plenty of resources. There, are, there is plenty of food for this population. And when he says nature is pitiless, that is not true. God has given us all that we need on this beautiful planet to thrive. Humans are the ones that are pitiless at times where we don't love each other. We don't value each other, and our greed can hurt other people. And he believes that the sanctity of life is silly and should be opposed, and it's something that we value greatly. And the psalmist goes on to talk about this in verse 14. Let's move on as, a, as a, the the. the Bible view, the, the biblical view of how we should view ourselves. The psalmist says this in verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Here we are again in, in the womb. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. You know, Ephesians 1 tells us that even before we were conceived, God knew about us. He knew about us before we were even born. He's timeless. He knew us. He thought we were wonderful. He had a plan for our lives, and he wants to adopt us into his family. 
That's the value that we have in God. We can say this with all assurance. You are wonderfully made. God knew what he was doing when he wove you together in your mother's womb. That's nothing that you ever have to doubt and that you can take great security in. Later on, after Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2, it kind of talks about this a little bit more. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are his workmanship. Another translation says, We're his craftsmanship. We're his creation. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he has designed beforehand that we should walk in them. You are God's masterpiece. He created you and he has this carpet laid out for you of these good works, this plan for your life that he wants you to walk in before we were even conceived. And it's just a beautiful thing to think, man, God has value placed in me and he has a plan for my life. I'm his masterpiece, and he wants me to walk in this plan. And heaven forbid that any of us would be so proud to say that we could interrupt that plan that God has at any time of life. God has designed this and laid it out for every one of us. Speaking of masterpiece, I was thinking about the painting Mona Lisa, one of the greatest pieces of art that's uh, ever been known to man. Here's a picture of it. In 1962... This was sold in auction, okay, many years ago, uh, 60 years ago, for $100 million. The inflation of that is, is really hard to measure. The only way that you can kind of measure the value of this painting is how much it is insured for and how much the insurance companies that insure this place a value on it. And right now, the running total is not $100 million as it was 60 years ago. But with inflation, it's up to almost $900 million in, in value as this is stored in a museum. That's what it's insured for, that if it was damaged or, or burned or stolen, that's the value. Almost a billion dollars for Leonardo da Vinci's painting that he painted in the 1500s. That's incredible. You know, you look at it and you think, what's so special about this painting? I mean, just kind of take it in for a moment. Is she, like, outstandingly pretty? I don't know. Was she an outstandingly... <laughs> it's not for me to judge. It's just a piece of art. <laughs> Was she, like, an amazing person or an amazing athlete? You know, I don't know. There's so much mystery about who this person actually was. I mean, it's a beautiful piece of art, but I've seen lots of beautiful pieces of art. What makes this one almost worth a billion dollars? And there's a great mystery about it. It's got a specialness beyond words or beyond what artists could even clarify. But it's got value. It's got incredible value. Not a lot of people have a billion dollars laying around to buy a piece of of art. We are far more valuable than this priceless piece of art. The Bible uses these words in Ephesians and all through scriptures and the psalmist in 139 to remind us of this as you have incredible value. You have incredible value because the artist that made you is a holy, holy God. As we read on in verses 17 and 18, it says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! 
How vast is the sum of them? How much does God think about you? If I were to count them, the thoughts, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. What a beautiful verse to remind us. How much does God think about you? More than the grains of the sand on the beaches. Wow, that's a lot of thoughts. God is constantly thinking about you. He's loving on you. He's got a plan for you. So many more uh, thoughts, so much more vast than we could ever imagine. When I think about the value of uh, people in this way, it really does change in a good way of how I think of people. We've gone through a couple years of many divisive things. And it's easy for us to, to label or think of people that are different from us. And I could list all those ways that people are different from us, but I think you know what I'm talking about and how we could place value on different people according to what they believe. That the Bible tells us we need to love these people, all of them, no matter what their beliefs, no matter what they do, no matter what we might assign in their earthly value. And that's really what the sanctity of life is all about. As, as our country's even been divided over the recent uh, Supreme Court uh, decisions, we have to remember there are many people to love and value in these situations. We need to love and we need to protect the unborn. We need to love these uh, soon-to-be mothers that are in very difficult circumstances. And that's why we love what Tiffany is doing so much in the nest to think we don't want to just be pro-life, but these people are struggling. They're hurting. They need help. They're feeling alone. And as Christians, we have this opportunity to love them and say, we want to do whatever we can to help you and to love you, to tell you about Jesus and that you are loved by him. I think about all the the, the, the would-be dads or the, the, the men in this story that are often not spoken of enough that have put these women in these circumstances and how much they need God. Many of the women say they're going forward with the decisions to end their pregnancies because they don't have a man to support them. And if there was a man to support them, many of them would choose life. And we need to love these men. We need to help them. We need to encourage them to rise up and to provide and to be the men that God has put in them and the potential that he has put in them. I think of the women and the men that have been involved in abortion. And you know, they need the gospel so much. They need to know that God forgives them and loves them and that the cross has the power to forgive every sin. We need to help them and love them and encourage them. I think of all the children that are in foster care right now. There's probably so many kids, we would, it would just bring tears to our eyes that are 30 minutes away up in Toledo and Lucas County, children here in our county waiting for someone to take them into foster care, waiting for someone to adopt them. I'm so grateful that even before my wife and I were married, we had talked about adoption, and that was something that God had put on our heart. And adopting two of our three children is one of the greatest joys of my life. 
And I want to encourage you to consider that. All you young people here that are starting to get married, to just pray about that. Would God have us adopt? Even for some of us older couples, would God lead us into the foster care system to love these kids and bring Jesus to them? When Mary Lynn and I first went to adopt, we really didn't know where to go, and we were driving through a Wendy's, and I don't know if you've driven through Wendy's recently, and they said, hey, would you like to donate a dollar to Adopt America Network? I don't know if that rings a bell with anybody, but Dave Thomas, who founded Wendy's, was adopted, and he had a big heart for adoption. And he's uh, used a lot of his, he's passed away now, but he used so much of his wealth to bless these children that are forgotten. And Mary Lynn and I were going through one of those Wendy's many years ago and said, hey, would you like to donate a dollar to Adopt America? And we said, hey, what's Adopt America? And they said, well, they're an adoption agency right here in Toledo, Ohio, that deal with adoptions. And we adopted my oldest son, Dominic, through Adopt America because we drove through a Wendy's. One day, that was a good Baconator, too. It was a good Baconator. Ugh. These opportunities are all around us, and God wants us to give. He wants us to give of, his, of our lives, of our money, of our time, and He wants us to give of our prayers. Be mindful of the foster care systems. Be mindful of the nest today as you give your $5. James 1.27 says to remember the widows and the orphans. The people that have, uh, that have value and a sanctity of life that are often forgotten. Let God warm our hearts. Let God help our hearts overflow for all of these people to love them and to show them the great uh, love of Jesus. God thinks highly of you and God thinks highly of all those that are forgotten by this world. As I pray today, let's ask God to help us to be mindful of all people and all circumstances.